Welcome everyone. You guys can take your seats. Um, glad you guys are here. Welcome, welcome. Um, so yeah, we're glad to have our very first ever open house. Uh, my name is Sean McEntee. Um, I'm a part of a group called Chi Alpha. If this is your first time here, if you came uh, just because you heard about it randomly, if you're part of Chi Alpha, then you already know that we're doing this. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is Open House, and we just wanted to briefly talk about what Open House is and why we're doing it. Um, so Open House, uh, we just had this conviction um, to to talk about some of the questions that are a lot harder uh that that people have about Christianity that are hard to answer, right? Questions like, um, what what do we do with when we say God is loving, but yet there's suffering in the world? Or how does Christianity make the claim that that Jesus is the only way? Or what do we do with science and faith, and can they stay in the same room? And so with the open houses, we want to take time to discuss these things because we know a lot of people have a um, pretty tough time answering these questions or, or are wanting to look for answers. And so um, the way they're going to work is they're happening about once a month. And um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of discussion and then uh, a Q&A time at the end where you can answer more specific questions. And so tonight, for our first ever open house, our topic is science and faith, as you guys can see. Um, now, this is, you know, ra well, real quick, raise your hand in this room if you've ever had questions or have been asked questions about science and faith. Right. Most of you in this room, right? And and this is this is a hot topic in our culture today, but it's not it's not something that's brand new. This has been around for a long time. And I'm sure all of you have heard questions or been asked questions like this. Are God and faith anti science and anti reason? Is faith in God irrational? Must we choose between God and science, or can they be reconciled? Are science and God enemies of each other? Is it possible to hold strictly to scientific claims and also be a Christian? Are science and God exclusive of each other? What do we do with things like creation and evolution and the flood? Is there any real evidence for God? And these are all questions that I've heard and that people have. And so tonight, my hope is that we can answer some of these. And so I want to start tonight with three prefaces. The first is that I am not a scientist by trade or education. I, I don't hold any degrees in any of the sciences, so I don't, I, I don't claim to be an expert. Um, but I also want to let you know that I am uh, an avid learner, and I really love uh, the natural sciences and, and making myself familiar with them. And so I want to point out that Though I am not an expert, I am not also not ignorant on uh, on these topics. And so, um, if tonight I say something that that maybe you're not sure of, um, just know that I've taken time to study, uh, and I want to be able to share with what I with you what I found. Um, the second preface that I have is that this is a huge topic. Science and faith is a huge topic, and I I will not be able to do it justice. Um, and so you're going to have questions, maybe questions of things I say or questions of things that I didn't say. And so I encourage you to write down your questions um, as I'm talking. And, and during our Q&A time later, you can ask them. Um, and then the third preface that I want to let you know is that I have been um, given the privilege of, of talking with young men and women for the past five years about this um, science and faith thing through just conversations and other times. Um, and it, and it's been so good, but it's so cool because every time 
that someone has held a different view from me. It seems that they kind of come uh, to this. This boils down to this this statement of I just I just don't see any scientific evidence for God. If you could prove to me that he's real, then then maybe I'd be willing to consider it. But up until now, no one has ever been able to give me proof. Now, this is a fair and honest statement. And if there are some of you in this room who feel this way, then then I want you to know you are welcome and we are glad you are with us. And for those of you who are in this room and, and maybe you've been asked this question and you've never had an answer, then, then I'm glad you're here too. Uh, my hope is that today when we leave, we'd all have a bigger picture of what this, this science and faith dilemma actually looks like. Alright guys, so, so let's just jump right in. Now, like I said, I won't be able to answer all the questions posed at the beginning, but I do want to answer as many as possible. So, so let's just go to one of, to, in my opinion, one of the central questions, and that's this question. Is faith in God irrational in our scientific day and age, or does it actually have something to contribute to our scientific endeavors, right? Is faith in God irrational, or, or is it valuable to what we're trying to do today? And I'll tell you from the get-go that it is my belief that faith in God is not only rational in our scientific day and age, but I believe that it is because of faith in God that science has any weight. It's my belief that it is not science that gives weight to faith, but it is actually faith that ultimately gives weight to science. And so I'll elaborate on that. We need to define this word faith, though. Um, so for many people, when they hear faith, they think, ah, this is uh, believing in something you can't explain or see, right? It's this leap of faith type thing. Um, but when you look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't ever describe faith like that. And in, in all reality, most people, when they're describing faith, just in general terms, don't even mean that. Um, what they mean, I'll give you an example what they mean by that. Um, who in here has a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Cool. If I were to go up to you, and say, give me absolute tangible proof that they love you. You may be able to give me like a gift they give, they've given you or, you know, like show me a text message or something like that. But in reality, most of what your, your consensus that they love you is based on evidence, not proof, right? It's, it's the evidence of their life. It's the way they've treated you, but it's not something you can tangibly hold or grasp. And so what you see is that that you have faith that they love you, not with any tangible proof, but based on evidence of their life, right? You can't, you can't hand me something that proves that they love you, unless maybe you got a ring or something. Um, but th this is what every worldview is like. Every worldview has an underlying faith. Even atheism has an underlying faith in order to believe it. I'll show you um, Stephen Hawking. You guys know Stephen Hawking? One of the most brilliant men of our day, if not, if not the most brilliant um, of our time. He's a, he's just an amazing physicist, but he's also an acclaimed atheist. And he once said this about religion. He said, religion is a fairy story for those afraid of the dark. Now I have a question for you. Is this a scientifically verifiable claim? When you look at it, it's not. This is a statement of faith. Hawking believes that believing in God is like believing in a fairy story, but he can't, he can't take it to a lab and prove it empirically that this, that this God doesn't exist, right? And so something we need to be careful of, just a kind of a common rule, is to know that statements by famous scientists do not necessarily make them statements of science. 
right? Mumbo jumbo said by someone really start smart is still mumbo jumbo. And I'm not saying this to come down on Stephen Hawking. This guy is a brilliant man, but it's just to point out the fact that that this statement, his belief is based on faith. But then we have to ask the million dollar question: Why, why does Stephen Hawking believe this about God? And what we see is he came to this belief based on the evidence. For him and for countless others, the evidence points to the fact that God isn't real. But then there's people like myself and many more who say, oh, well, the evidence does prove that God is real. And so what we see is that, that this is not a question of proofs, but a question of evidences, right? Not something that you tangibly can walk away with, but we see that, that Hawking, his belief is based on a basic premise, right? A basic premise that he takes on faith in the same way that someone who believes in God takes that basic premise on faith. And so we have to understand this from the outset. Otherwise, we're, gonna, we're never going to be able to move past um, some of the basic problems. And so in the, when we look at the evidence, when we take time to look at the evidence, that's when we see whether this science versus faith debate is actually, it actually holds water or if it's just illogical, right? And so that's what we're going to do tonight we're going to look at some evidences now there's there's quite a bit of evidence we could look at um but like i said we have 35 minutes and so we're not going to be able to go through that all but i've picked two evidences that i feel are very strong um to show that that faith in god and christianity don't have to be as exclusive as many people want to make them to be uh and so the first evidence we're going to look at is the history of science now c.s lewis you guys know c.s lewis yeah, he wrote Narnia. Um, he also he didn't just write kids' books. He was a massive intellectual uh, in the mid-1900s during World War II time. Um, he says this about science and faith. He says, Men became scientific because they expected law in nature. And they expected law in nature because they believed in a law giver. Now, when we look at the history of our modern science, who are the people we think of, right? The people who founded our modern-day science are people like uh, Galilei Galileo, um, Johannes Kepler, Isaac Newton, Copernicus, men like, me, these men with massive intellects, right? These were men that shaped, at, they, they shaped our modern-day science, right? They, were, they made groundbreaking discoveries. They helped develop our scientific method that we use today. These men were, were just giants, in intellectual prowess and, and what they did for the scientific endeavor. But what's so interesting is that so many of the early scientists, the men who shaped our modern day science, they didn't actually see a problem with God and science being present in the same room. And though not all of them, defi definitely not all of them, they did not all believe in the God of Christianity, but nonetheless, they believed in a God who created things, right? A creator God is what they believed in. Here are just some quotes of some of science's greatest pioneers. Uh, Galileo said, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended us to forego their use. Johannes Kepler said, The laws of nature are within the grasp of the human mind. God wanted us to recognize them by creating us after his own image, so that we could share in his own thoughts. Sir Isaac Newton, everyone knows his name. He said, The most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets 
could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Blaise Pascal, nature is an infinite sphere whereof the center is everywhere, the circumference nowhere. In short, imagination is brought to silence at the thought, and that is the most perceptible sign of the all-power of God. And Michael Faraday, he said, the beauty of electricity or any other force is not that the power is mysterious and unexpected, but that it is under law and that the taught intellect can even now govern it. This clearly conveys the gifts of God to men. There were other men, huge intellectuals in the scientific process, men like Francis Bacon, Copernicus, Robert Boyle, Thomas, uh, William Thomas Kelvin, Seth Ward, Robert Boyle, Christopher Wren, even Albert Einstein believed in a God. Now, I, usually when I say that, people are like, oh, wait, he wasn't a Christian. And you'd be right, he wasn't a Christian. He didn't believe in the God of Christianity, but nonetheless, Albert Einstein believed in a God who created things. Here are just a few famous quotes of his. that I do not believe that a moral philosophy can ever be founded on a scientific basis. The validation, evaluation of life and all its nobler expressions can only come out of the soul's yearning towards its own destiny. Every attempt to reduce ethics to scientific formulas must fail. Of that, I am perfectly convinced. His famous uncertainty principle was God does not play dice. And to him, that was a real God. And one of his most famous sayings was science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind. Now, I'm not unaware of the fact that these men didn't believe in the God of Christianity. They didn't believe that Jesus was their Savior, but they believed in a creator God who set up order to the universe, however personal or impersonal he was, right? And so because they believed in this God who set up nature with order, they were able to find law and order because they expected it to be there, just as C.S. Lewis said. Now, many people at this point, they say, ah, well, these guys just believed in a God of the gaps, right? And if you've never heard this term, God of the gaps, it just means I can't explain it, so God did it, right? Uh, you see, in ancient times, if they didn't understand how lightning and thunder worked, right, they didn't understand the water molecules in the air and how they interacted with each other. And so they said, ah, Zeus did it. This big lightning guy who throws bolts at us, he did it. Right? And then as time went on, we realized there's no Zeus, right? And we understood how electricity and, and how lightning and thunder worked. And many will say, ah, well, Christianity, the God of Christianity is the same. But I don't believe that this argument holds up when you seriously probe it. Um, there's often a pressure today in our culture to choose either science or God. Right? There's a, you have to pick one or the other. But what's interesting is the Bible, which the reason I'm referencing the Bible is because when you're talking about the God of Christianity, this is, this is the source material for him. And so this isn't like Bible thumping. This is, you have to look at the source material. And the source material for the God of Christianity doesn't say he was a God of the gaps. It says he was the God of the whole show. Right? He created it all. And, and it's interesting. He, he created the bits we do understand and the bits we don't understand yet. Right, if, if you were to open your Bible right now, or if you don't have a Bible, you, most of you know the very first page. What does it say? It says, in the beginning, God created the bits and pieces of the universe we don't yet understand. That's what it says, right? No. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And this is what is called a merism or a, a, just a figure of speech. And it, it literally just means he created everything, right? The bits we do understand and the bits we don't. And what's interesting about the God of Christianity is that he doesn't disappear with an advance in science. When Newton discovered gravity, he didn't throw God out the window. He's, he marveled at a God who would make it that way, right? When you understand, when, when you can understand art, you're able to appreciate a Rembrandt or a Van Gogh much more. If you have an understanding, any of you engineers in this room, if you have an understanding of engineer, you engineering, you can appreciate a jet engine much more than I can and how it works. And if you understand the universe, you can admire and appreciate a God who made it that way. You see, the history of the beginning of the scientific endeavor, it shows favor on the light that God and science can be present in the same room. Right? That it shows high favor that there can be a God and a faith in God and science present in the same room. And so then the question really becomes, are we going to take history seriously? Are we going to take seriously the founders and forerunners of our modern day science, right? Like these men believed in God when they were founding these, these basic principles, so why must we throw him out today? Were these men just misguided simpletons? Were they less intelligent? These are some questions that we have to honestly answer and look at. This is the, some evidence that we have to be honest with. Now, many people take issue, oops, uh, many people take issue and they say, ah, but, but God can't be proven scientifically, right? He can't, he can't be proven in, in a lab. And this, I believe, is based on a wrong assumption. This is a wrong assumption that if something can't be proven scientifically, it's not worth anything, right? And this is to commit a huge error, um, to to say that science is the only means of explanation is to commit a huge error. And so this is where we're going to go into the second piece of evidence, which is the nature and philosophy of science. Right? We have to understand what science is actually about. Um, so like I said, this is the leading assumption today, one of them, is that, oh, well, you can't prove God, therefore he can't be real. Right? You can't prove him, he can't be real. Um, and this statement is what we would call naturali naturalistic reductionism. In understandable terms, it means everything can be broken down to the physics and chemistry of itself. If you, if you can't break it down to the physics and chemistry, it's, it's not real, right? If we can't get a hold of it, it's not real. But then what do we do with things like conscience or logic or language or aesthetics or morality or historical events? What do we do with things that aren't tangible, right? And there's been, there's been many attempts to prove these things scientifically with with you know the f the chemical and physical breakdown but they usually come back pretty lackluster and this is because scientific proof is just based on showing that something is repeatable and verifiable right when it's tested time and again in the presence of a person and you get the same results over and over again and so people say oh well christianity can't be shown in a controlled environment in the same way you could test whether electricity is going to run through one conductor or another but this is to make a great error, right? I just, I, like I said, it's to assume that the scientific method is the only explanation of things. So I'll, I'll give you a, a humorous example. Um, so who's in, who has a physics class this semester? Okay, so Nate, say I go to your physics professor and I invite him over to my house 
Um, and he comes over, and on the stove, I've got some water boiling in a kettle. And I, and I ask him, I say, sir, why is the water boiling? And he says, oh. And he gets, he gets all excited because he's going to tell me. And he says, well, the water's boiling because the heat from the flame is being conducted through the base of the kettle, and it's agitating the molecules faster and faster and faster, and so the water starts to boil over. And I look at him, and I just pat him on the shoulder, and I say, no, dummy. It's boiling because I want some tea. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Why do you guys laugh? Well, you're laughing because my response was stupid. Like, of course his expl- explanation is correct for why the water's boiling. It's just, it's only a part of the explanation. It's the scientific part of the explanation, right? Conduction is the scientific explanation of why the water's boiling. But then there's another explanation called the personal agency explanation. And that's, well, I wanted some tea, right? I was thirsty. You see, the scientific explanation has to do with law and mechanism, right? How things work. But the personal explanation has to do with the why question. Why are things this way? The mind behind it, the thing that made it happen, right? And neither explanation conflicts with each other. In fact, both the scientific and the personal explanation are necessary for total understanding of something. They are not at odds with each other. They're complementary to each other. And what's most interesting is that often the personal explanation has more weight in our everyday lives, right? I mean, people were making tea for thousands of years without ever understanding how conduction works. They just knew this is hot and it makes that bubble, right? Like, but they didn't understand the process. And the fact that some things tend to have more scientific explanations, whereas others tend to have more personal, doesn't mean that you've got to pick one or the other. It doesn't mean they're not compatible. More often than not, God takes on a personal explanation. He gives purpose to why he made things, but he doesn't explain how he made things. But then we come in, and he's endowed us with intellect, and we figure out how things were made. Right? I... I've yet to meet anyone who is, a re- in, I, who is in some type of research um, role trying to figure out a cure for cancer or better the medical world who's doing it purely for the scientific endeavors of it, right? They're doing it because they don't. They've had family members that have been affected or, or have died because of cancer. They've, they don't want to see the world suffer. Or maybe they just do it because they know they're going to get a lot of money and they're really selfish. But even that, is a personal explanation of why they're doing what they do. You see, the fact that God decided to create everything is a personal explanation. And our figuring it out is a scientific explanation. But just because we learn something new doesn't mean that the God who said he created it all didn't already know that, right? More often than not, it's just us playing catch-up with what's already been there before us. So do these explanations conflict? Of course not. I believe that it's wrong to suggest that God is the same kind of explanation as a scientific method. I'll put it in the words of John Lennox, one of my heroes. He says, scientific laws such as the law of gravitation or the laws of thermodynamics no more compete with God as an explanation of the universe than the law of internal combustion competes with Henry Ford as an explanation of the motor car, right? We would never, you'd never say to someone, when you're going home tonight, 
and you walk to your car, right, and you've got your friend, and you say, okay, there's my car. Let's go. All right, so you get one of two choices. Either this is here because Henry Ford came up with it a long time ago, or it's here because of the law of internal combustion. Please choose one, but you can't choose both. Like, this would be absurd to make someone have to choose one or the other. They're answering different questions. And the same thing is true of God. You can't pick, you can't make someone pick God or science. They answer different questions. This is not a cop-out to say you don't have to explain God through the scientific method. That We just need to have a proper understanding. We need to have a proper understanding of the different levels of explanation. The scientific method simply is not the right tool for trying to find things of the supernatural order, let alone things like morality or language or morals. Oh, I'm sorry, I already said morals. Um, the scientific method, it deals with things of the natural physical order. And as such, the only thing it's going to find are things of the natural physical order. If the scientific method were the only determinant of fact, then each and every one of us would have to choose. But the simple truth of it all is that it's not the only, the only option. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the scientific method is flawed. It's just that we have to understand it rightly. We have to see it and put it in its right place. So we've looked at two of the evidences for science and faith being compatible. The first being the history and, and how it has shaped our modern day science and how God was present in the beginning of this, this movement and how it doesn't, he doesn't have to be gone in, in, in this present one. And then also we've looked at the, the philosophy and nature of science and that when it's right, rightly understood, they don't actually conflict. And so there's a lot more I could say, um, but I just want to focus on one more piece of evidence um, before we go into our time of Q&A, and that's the evidence of the Bible and what it has to say about science. So we're talking about faith, and so I feel it would be right to talk about the Bible. And so here's a question for you. Who came up with the idea of a beginning to space-time first, the Bible or science? You see, in 1910, it was first postulated the Big Bang Theory. Right, everyone knows about the Big Bang Theory. Everyone's heard about it. Um, and then the 50s and 60s, starting around that time, it gained massive coverage as evidence started pouring in of the expansion of the universe and the the radiation, the background um, redshift that was in the universe, and all these different things started pouring in that maybe there was actually a beginning to this universe. But wait a second, the Bible. The Bible said this thousands of years ago. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning. Right, the Bible says there was a beginning. And you see, at a time when evidence started pouring in that there might actually be a beginning, there was not a small group of scientists um, who opposed it. And one such man named John Maddox, who wrote in the, nature uh, in the editorial name called Nature, he said, we must not go down this route of admitting a beginning to space-time because it will give too much leverage to people who believe the Bible. This was a leading scientist. This was a leading scientist saying, we can't do this because it's going to give weight to people who believe in God. You see, I, I personally don't have a problem with the Big Bang. I, I just think it's the outworking of Genesis 1-3 when God said, let there be light. I don't have a problem, and I know many Christians who have no problem with the Big Bang. 
The interesting thing is that where a non-religious scientist says, well, there's a beginning, but everything came from nothing. And then a Christian or someone who has faith in God says, well, everything came from God. Right? It, and you, it goes back to that basic idea that, that things are they're, they're based on our underlying faith. If the, if the Big Bang is true, which I don't see why it can't be, then it just proves that the Bible was a few thousand years ahead of science and that we've just been catching up to God. And then we ask questions, what about the accuracy of the Bible on other things in science? What about like objects in space? Job 26.7, a book likely written at least 3,000 years ago, says this. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Here's a book thousands of years old, telling us that the earth is suspended on nothing in space. Right? It, it, wasn't suspend, it wasn't supported on the back of a turtle. It wasn't supported on the back of an elephant. It wasn't supported by pillars. God is telling this man in ancient times that the earth is supported on nothing. And then people say, ah, oh, well, why didn't God just explain the laws of gravitation or planetary orbits to him? Right? And part of me is like, well, I don't think he'd understand it. But the other part is that I don't, I don't think that's what the Bible is, is trying to go for. You see, the Bible is not a book of science, but it does make scientific claims. It's not a book of history or morality or poetry, but it has all these different things in it. Ultimately, the Bible is a book about the pursuit of God for us, for man. But if along the way he wants to reveal scientific laws and how nature works and operates that's his prerogative he made it <laughs> he can do that now there are more instances in the bible where the bible was ahead of the curve of science if you want to ask about that in the q a then please do um, but i just want to look at one more piece of evidence from the bible that to me is is of of the most convincing nature and it's an evidence that comes from a claim of jesus himself this is not a a tangible piece of evidence that you can hold in your hand and walk out with, but it is testable and verifiable. And Jesus once said to a group of people, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Now this in and of itself is a truth claim, and it is a testifiable or testable and verifiable claim, right? It's a cause and effect. He says, come to me and I will. Right? It's something that you and I and every person can go and test for ourselves. But we have to be willing to test it and willing to test it honestly. Right? I know a lot of people, like I said at the beginning, who say, ah, well, if you could just give me evidence, then I'd be willing to, to believe. And then I put this before them and they say, ah, nah, that's not for me. And it's like, wait a second. You said bring evidence. So you have to be willing to look at this. For millions upon millions of people over the past two thousands of years, they've heard this claim and they've come, right? People who have the most unimaginable baggage, most unimaginable pain, so weary, so worn out. And they've come because Jesus said, come to me. And they said, all right, I'm, uh, all right. And do you know what they found? Exactly what Jesus said they would find, rest and peace and forgiveness and freedom. Jesus made a claim, one that was testable and verifiable. And this claim, when taken seriously, works just like any other hypothesis in a laboratory. 
right? You have a you have an, a problem and you go and test it and you see if it proves true. And when something is tested and tested again and tested again and has multiple sources and multiple stories and multiple accounts and time and again it proves to be true, there's weight behind it, right? If if any scientific theory had as much evidence behind it as the story, th- this claim of Jesus, there would be no question to its validity. No one would question it. And I believe this t- claim of Jesus is verifiable. People who had no worth came to him and found worth. To me, this is just as convincing of evidence as, as any evidence we have for gravity. If I drop this, this iPad, it's going to fall. It's going to prove that there's gravity. In the same way, if you come honestly you'll see a response. But we have to come to a decision based on the evidence. So to restate the overarching question that we've been asking tonight, are the claims that Christianity and science antagonistic to one another, are they true? I don't believe they are. In fact, is my belief is quite the opposite. I believe that Christianity as a worldview is the most compatible with science today. It's the only worldview that seems to give true weight to all our scientific endeavors. It's the only one that gives any real weight to science. But as with any reasonable conclusion, you have to come to it by looking at the evidence before you. And you have to ask questions. And you have to look at the data. And then you have to come to a conclusion yourself. And that's, that's your responsibility tonight. Whether you believe, whether you don't believe in God, whether you're on one side or the other, you have to look at the evidence and make an honest, honest approach to the evidence. It's my firm belief that God's word does not and cannot contradict his word in nature, work in nature. But again, you must look at the evidence for yourself. The evidence of the history of science, the evidence for the nature and philosophy of science, the nature or the evidence of the Bible and what it has to say, the na- the evidence of science itself and what it is putting out. We have to look at the evidence and see and come and make a conclusion for ourselves. So we're going to go now into a time of Q&A. Um, I want to let you know that the questions don't have to be limited to only what I said. Uh, please keep them limited to science and faith, um, but we want to open this time up. Um, like I said at the outset, there wasn't, there was a lot that I couldn't say, um, but if you've got questions about anything like evolution or creation or the flood or um, fossil records or any, any of these things, um, please ask them. Like I said, I read widely, um, and, and I want to be able to help you guys. Um, I may not have all the answers, but I want to be able to start helping. And so, um, the way it's going to work, we have two microphones. Um, so, we'll just limit it to one question. None of those, like, six questions in one, part A, part B, part C. Try and keep it one question. And then we'll just jump back and forth from microphone uh, to microphone. And then, at a certain point, I'll just uh, I'll say one more question, and then we'll have some closing remarks. So, if you guys have any questions, you can come. Don't all rush. Let's get some water.
lots of whispering. I know you guys got questions. Who's brave? Yeah. If you guys form lines, it makes it less awkward to have to be the only person to stand up. So while she's asking, no one's going to be paying attention. Uh, I just had a question regarding the evolution theory. Because mm -hmm. uh, I feel like sometimes it contradicts the creationist point of view. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of it's just mainly like this one issue. Mm -hmm. And that goes with a big thing, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm going to put up a slide. Um, let me get it real quick. So you're, she asked the question, if anyone didn't hear, um, I'm glad you were specific because sometimes I was afraid someone was going to say, could you just talk about evolution? And I wouldn't be like, well, there's a lot to talk about with that. Um, she asked w uh, specifically about the timing, um, the, the evidence for evolution and the long spans of time that that would take as compared to a biblical approach to creation. And, and just these differing ideas of time. And so what I want to put up, um, these are actually, it may look overwhelming, there's actually upwards, uh, if not more, um, at least nine theories that people hold to for creation. These are, uh, these are a handful of them. Um, so there's scientific-based theories, and there's also um, what's called exegetical, which means just purely biblical approaches. Um, and so for the scientific ones, theistic evolution, right, it's uh, well actually I'll just let you guys read those or take a picture. Um now the for my I'll say my personal belief um on this to, to just to give some context um so I'm not just talking about a lot of these arbitrarily. Um my personal belief is this third one called the day age theory. Um so the Bible in Genesis 1 it's this word yom uh and it talks about there's there's three different uses for yom. There's day as in like it's day outside, right? Like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. until the sun goes down. There's a day, 24-hour day. And then there's day when you say back in my day, right? It's It's got limits, but you're not entirely sure how long. It's just a period of time with limits on it. Um, and so the Bible isn't explicitly clear on what of those three uses day is. Um, and so for me, I've come to a conclusion that um, I don't, I personally don't believe in evolution as it is expounded today that all living matter came from some non-organic, non-living matter at some point, right? The, the tree that we see, one, one instance that has expanded down to everything, um, I, I have a lot of problems um, believing that with just, there's, there's not a lot of transitory fossils and... Um, there's just not a lot of oh, clinching evidence that I've seen for that. And there's just a lot to be said of, of just bones only. I'm not saying that fossil records aren't valuable, but there's a lot more that is made of just a bone, right, than, than, than I think is comfortable to make. But with the, the age of the earth and also compared to the Bible, the another Bible one that most people um, – have problems with is the 24-hour interpretation that God literally created the earth in six days, right? And so the earth is about 6,000 years old. Um, that that was an idea that came about, I think, in like the 13 or 1400s. Um, a man, he kind of went through and, and broke that down. Uh, again, I look at the evidence, and I don't personally um, see that that is something that I can hold to. 
Um, but again, that's based on the evidence. And so when you look at the time gaps, the time age, this this gap or this age theory, the one that I was talking about, um, it gives time where God supernaturally imposed a new order, right? The first order he said was light and darkness, not the sun and the moon, light and darkness. And then he superimposed um, the water and the sky and then the land and then plants and vegetation, then the sun and the moon, then the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, the mammals on the land, and then humans as we know it. Um, and he superimposed at each of these creation aspects. But if that happened over the course of 100 million years, then then that to me is not very hard. I see a lot of speciation, which is microevolution within a species, right? Birds becoming new forms of birds, but they're still birds. And that can happen over millions of years. I'm like, oh, cool, that that's awesome. God is letting his creation develop into something even more and expand and grow. Um, but I have trouble believing some of these theories. Now, every theory has its big plot holes. There's, there's a big one in all of them, even the one I believe in. And so, um, but I hope that helps answer some questions. Um, yeah. Cool. You can, yeah. So, uh, like the biology of the super early humans in the Bible talk a lot about uh, time periods where Noah lived for 200 years. And there was people who lived up to 900 years. How does, how does that stand up to biology? That's a good question. Uh, just to reiterate, um, in case you didn't hear, Apparently, oh, I know, I don't have these on. Oops, my bad. Um, to reiterate the question, uh, he said, what do we do with the, anti the, the men of antiquity in the Bible? The men who lived, I mean, one guy lived 969 years. Like, that's the, the oldest man ever was that old. Noah was like seven or 800 years old by the time he died. What do we do with these men of old as compared to today? Um, one of my one of my favorite people uh, ever and just influenced so much of my thoughts today is a man named Arthur Custance. Um, you should totally take down his name. You can get all his books for free. I'm going to post it at the end. Um, Arthur Custance talks about how whenever man was first created, right, you look at Adam. Adam was of, he was human as we were, but he was, when he was created, he was created with a perfect body. Right, and then the, there was a, the result of the fall. Um, he ate this forbidden fruit that that he wasn't supposed to eat, and this affected. And God, and God said, "Surely you will die if you eat of this fruit." Right, and so Adam goes and and he eats of this fruit that he's not supposed to, and that promise comes true for him. Like nine hundred years later, he ends up dying. Um, but what Arthur Custance talks about is that. There was not only a spiritual repercussion of eating that fruit, but there was a physical repercussion. And that you see, once Noah has passed away, right? So there was 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And after the time of Noah, after the flood, God comes in and he, he makes this executive order that, that man's life is going to be shortened. Um, and so you start to see this decline to like 400 years, 300 years. And then it gets to the time of Abraham. He says man's life will be no more than 120 years. And what's crazy is that 
I think the oldest person ever in modern times was like 124. So is that to say God was wrong? No, I don't think so. But God has come in and he said, right, like you see these, these periods of time where man lived for a very long time as God allowed them to live that long because he was trying to give them chances to come back to him. So much so, I'll, t- I'll say this, this is a side note, um, Methuselah, the guy who lived the longest in the Bible, his name literally meant the in- or at his death the end will come. And he died the same year that the flood happened. The man who lived the longest of anyone in the Bible, his name was a prophecy of the flood to come. And God was saying, look, I, I'm giving you almost a thousand years to, to get right with me so I don't have to do this. And then the flood happened and the world was wiped. All, all of human existence except for eight people was wiped. And then God said, all right. I'm not going to give him as long anymore. And it came down to the point where he limited to 120. And so, again, I believe that that was a, a sen- in a sense, a supernatural restriction that God put on as a result of the fall. Um, yeah, he, he sustained. I mean, we see it even. It's Jesus talks about it in, in the New Testament that man does not live by bread alone, right? There is a supernatural um, sustaining aspect that is more than just the physical um, and that I think that was part of what was keeping them longer, alive a lot longer. But uh, that is best as I can give you on that. So, hope that's helpful. Yeah. It's on, yeah. Sorry. You can just pick it up. Yeah. Dinosaurs. Yeah, dinosaur bones were planted in the earth by the devil. Um, I'm not exaggerating. That is an actual belief. Um, I do not hold to that belief uh yeah i think this goes a little bit back to what i said about the day age um i mean dinosaurs for the most part were agreed upon to be reptiles um there was a time period when god created reptiles and fish and bird or the fish of the sea and reptiles and birds um which long preceded mammals and the the if, if this day age idea was true um so day five was when he created the reptiles and the birds and the lands of the sea. And even in, I, even in day six, there's like different orders. He says he created them, then he created this, then he created man, right? And there's different time periods. Um, and so I don't have a problem. The Bible talks about two creatures, one called the behemoth and another called the leviathan. If you ever want to go look the leviathan up in Job, I think 39 and 40 or 40, right between 39 and 42, God talks about a Leviathan. It sounds a lot like a dinosaur. Um, I was asking Heather the other day, what if this thing is actually real? Because it sounds awesome. But, yeah, I don't think that that dinosaur bones, I don't think, I I think that dinosaurs are real, but I don't think they um, pose any real contention to a scientific approach, right? Like there was the scientific approaches and there was the exegetical. If you're going purely based on like a six- six-day creation 
6,000-year-old Earth, then, yeah, dinosaurs pose a huge, huge problem because where <laughs> where were they? But if you're looking at a, at a different approach, then I don't think that they, they pose a huge contention to the claims of Jesus or the, the claims of God creating the Earth. Um, and, yeah, we see countless other species that have gone extinct um, and that doesn't, you know, like e- some people say, oh, well, why aren't they around anymore? It's like, well, they, they just are extinct. We don't have dodo birds anymore, sadly. Those things look great uh, with the big beaks. But, yeah, we don't have dodo birds anymore. We don't have all these other things. Um, and there's just a time and a season for, for things, including animals. So there's even a time and a season for man. There will be a day when we're not here. So yeah, I hope that's helpful. Dinosaurs, their bones are not planted by the devil. Yeah. What's your most uh, favorite or influential like author or like you mentioned a few guys, but if like we were to start with one after this, like this one mm-hmm. like podcast with both all that stuff. Great question. Who would I recommend as a starting point? Uh, for a person I would recommend a guy named John Lennox. J O H N space l e n n o x exclamation point who uh, hey who type who does type to talk i do that and i always have to say exclamation point or question mark but john lennox he is he's a brilliant mathematician he's a professor at oxford um similar except like myself in that he studies widely except he's far more intelligent than i am um but he is he's got an amazing ability to talk about huge huge concepts in very understandable terms. Um, and then there's a website. I'll just put this up right now. Um, there's a website that I would suggest that I actually found last night, and I was so excited to share with you guys, called reasons.org. It's a website specifically devoted to um, anything, any any uh, research articles, research papers that are pr- presented uh, today and, and how they fit in with faith in God. And it's really cool when you get to the front page it has, I believe, I'm, d- I'm doubting, or I don't believe, and it, and it guides you from there. Um, and so those are two of the things, customs.org, he's a, he's a little more thoughty, but if you can, he, you're reading research papers when you read him, but man, I have never once been disappointed reading this man. Um, so those would be my three most useful materials to give you as a starting point. Uh, the, the reasons.org is really cool, guys. It's really honest. It's really cool. Um, so, please do go and l- check these out. Hello.
something seems like it was wrong, you trust God anyway. So like there's a Bible verse in Psalms that, that says something along the line of lean on God more than your own understanding. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, does this like do you think the problem comes from misunderstanding the nature of science and faith, or do you think like when push comes to fuck <laughs> <laughs> to fudge? <laughs> That's a good question. So do science and faith, is one of them more fundamental than the other? Does does it have to be more fundamental? When you, like, you use the example of creation, sometimes it's fine. This year, it might make a little Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the first thing I'll say, uh, I kind of hinted at it. I didn't go into detail with it uh, because we were limited and it's a huge topic. But uh, one thing that, and I, I actually, it was less than a year ago, I was talking with a student who had some similar questions. And and I just I kind of came down to the question. I was like, what if if there is no faith, if there's no purpose right per- we get purpose from faith S- science in and of itself doesn't give us purpose right it tells us what things are and how they work but it doesn't tell us why they're important why they have any value it's kind of like that quote that that Einstein talked about that you the scientific method can't explain can't give any weight to ethics or morality and and he was convinced of that um and so i just kept asking this guy i said well what if in a, in a billion years we've discovered everything in the universe but if there's no God, if there's no end-all, be-all, if there's nothing after this life, then wasn't it for nothing? Like, no matter what you found, and he was like, ah, well, well, the future generations, like, yeah, yeah, I get that. They get to benefit. But at a certain point, all is done, all is gone. There is nothing. Everything you did was pointless, no matter what you found out. Um, and so that's why I said at the beginning, I think faith is the only, faith in a God is the only underlying premise that actually gives true weight and true value to what we're doing with science today. Um, and so it's not to say that faith, I, I'll, I'll read this quote, um, my boy Arthur Custance, uh let me grab it real quick. He says, it must, he's talking about premises. And he says, it must be a theology which bases its premise entirely within Scripture. These premises should not be carefully formulated, should be carefully formulated, and then presented without apology and with no appeal to reason. And then, when this is done, the logical consequences should be worked out with the strictest attention to rational argument and with the fullest possible use being made of the factual knowledge that is relevant to the exploration and elaboration of these logical consequences. Essentially, he's coming down and he's saying, look, a basic premise, I- it's not rational in its order because if it was, if it was something that was purely rational, it wouldn't, be a r- it wouldn't be a precept, it would be a conclusion, right? Precepts, scientists, naturalistic, atheistic scientists, Bible-believing, faith-believing scientists they all have this basic premise that they can't prove they can't walk into a room and say this is absolute but that premise is what's the starting point of all of their all of their work 
And so I think faith is an underlying, I think it has to be the underlying, whether it's faith in God or faith in, wh- whether it's faith in the science, I mean, there's a faith that the scientific method is not flawed. There's a, f- there's a very large faith that the scientific method is not flawed. And we may come to a day where it's like, oh, dang, we've had this wrong. You know what I mean? And so it, it the underlying precept, the underlying um, groundwork is faith, I, in my opinion. And science finds its weight and its value in that. Um, and so, and, and then I extend that to this to say that faith in God or faith in the God of Christianity gives the most weight and the most validity to our scientific endeavors. No, faith faith isn't I mean faith by definition isn't based on an absolute proof. Otherwise it wouldn't be faith, it would just be proof. Right? So like faith is it's based on like we said, it's based on the evidence that's before us. And so based on the evidence of what I've seen, not only in my experience, but also what I've seen in the Bible, what I've seen from accounts, um, and, and how the Bible and the God of Christianity have lined up with science. Yeah, there you're right, there are some areas where I'm like I I don't know. I don't yet under- know how to reconcile that, but it, it's based on a faith. It's not an ignorant faith, and there is there has to be, like I said, there has to be honesty with the evidence. There has to be honesty with the evidence. If it's if it's only, well, I'm just going to run with my idea regardless of what's before me. That's that's ignorance, and, and we don't want to do that. But it's okay to admit, I don't know how this can reconcile, but I'm still going to choose to believe in this God, in spite of what, what is before me, and and in the hopes that I can reconcile this, or that it'll change, it'll it'll have to change how I think about this, but I don't think you have to like. You, you yeah you don't you you don't just ignore it and run with like ah well I don't care about the plethora of evidence, I'm just gonna believe in this because I want to, so. Um, 
No, I don't think so. I'll answer this question, then we'll make sure to let some other people answer. That's okay. Um, I, I, I'm hesitant to ever, and this is a personal commission, I'm hesitant to ever close a door and lock it completely. Um, 500, 600 years ago, the common consensus across the across the world was that that the earth was flat not just many people say oh well christians believe the was flat that wasn't just christians that was everyone right and then galileo and copernicus copernicus came in and said oh well the earth is round um and for for years people shut the door and they said no the earth is flat and we're just going to believe this because we want to and then it came out that oh wait a second the earth is round and then nowadays I know this sounds ridiculous, but there are people who genuinely believe the earth is flat. Again, and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> like, we can take a we can take a ship up into space and look at it and see that the earth is not flat. But but people are still like, ah oh, no, it's flat. And um and and they're coming to this conclusion, some because they're just trolls, but others because they genuinely believe the evidence that's before them now, that doesn't mean the evidence is correct, but they are believing it. And they're now shutting the door again. Um, and and some, I mean, an honest approach would be to say, all right, let, if you've never looked in to the validity of the spherical nature of the earth or the flatness of the earth, you should take some time and look into it, right? And and then you come to a conclusion again. And so I think it, uh, uh, just a good practice is that anytime something comes up, that could contend it's it's just a good practice to take a take some time and go look at it and see for yourself because it we live in a day and age where if facebook says it or if reddit says it or if twitter says it then it has to be true and that's just not the case we, we're not critically minded we don't critically evaluate things and i think as a christian it is okay to critically evaluate things and see and say okay god like i i, I have faith in your character Let's see what this has to say and how it, how, it, how it stands before your character. And that quote that I said at the end, um, I'll put this up again real quick. God's word cannot and does not contradict his work in nature. That's my firm belief, that his word, what the Bible says about him, cannot and will not. It may appear to be so, and for hundreds of years it appeared that the earth was flat. And then it came about that the earth was actually round, and then you see that the Bible actually said that quite a long time before. So, yeah, thank you for asking. You can come up and ask. <laughs> oh, okay, not a question. Okay. Will anyone else have any questions? Oh, come on down. Hello. So, you say that God has a Great question. Okay, I'm going to repeat that question. She that that was I I really like that question and I'm really excited. Uh her question was if someone gets sick today and we use modern medicine um, and our modern, you know, technology to help bring them back to full health. Are we, 
are, are we going against God's nature and his reasons, right? Because God has a reason for things. Um, that was a great question. So I'm just going to read this quote because I, I, think, it's, I think it's one of the, the, the most clear answers. Um, so this is Arthur Custance again. He says, Scripture is not likely to provide us with scientific information whenever we can, by our own God-given intelligence, exact it for ourselves. But whenever we have completed our extraction and arrived at some fairly secure conclusion, it is amazing how frequently we discover that the Word of God anticipated our findings and got there first with a quite explicit and completely appropriate statement. Um, essentially what he's saying is, is, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear. He's just saying that, that God is okay with us using our God-given intellect to find these things. And then we realize after the fact, wait a second, God already had something to say. So a good example of this, um, there are some stories in the Old Testament where it talks about, it's actually in Proverbs, it talks about if a man is like, I, I, don't, I can't remember if it's like if he's grieving or if he's in sorrow, it tells him to give him like strong alcohol so that he can forget his problems for a time. Um, or you see in ancient times they would give people like really strong liquor before they had to amputate their arm or something like that. Now that's just a more archaic form of you know medicine or anesthesia. Um, but the Bible is actually saying, hey, this is, this is okay because one, we don't have medicine for it right now. Um, now today is that is that the best? I don't think so. We can we can look at the context of things, um, but the Bible has not been opposed to man's endeavors so long as it as it is for the betterment of humanity. Now there are times where man started to do stuff for themselves, and God usually steps in on that part. But when it's when it's for the sake of you know, healing and and bringing restoration to life out of you know sickness and all these different things. Then, then I don't think God has any problem with that. In fact, I I really believe that He's been the one leading that. You look at the in the Black Plague, um, the people who were the most effective were people who believed in God and said, "Hey, God, please give us some response." And out of it started you know these medical movements. I mean, the hospitals, almost every hospital that that has its basis somewhere comes out from a christian movement schools come out of a christian movement this this uh, pursuit of education to help people comes out of a belief in god and so i don't think that that you would be going against the purposes of god um i don't think god's purpose is ever um i don't think his hope is ever to see someone suffer um now it does happen in a fallen broken world but i don't think that's ever what he wants for anyone and uh if he's going to raise up a bunch of doctors from this room to go and make sure that doesn't happen, then I I think that he's pretty pleased about that. So I hope that's helpful. Tim, go ahead. Hello. you been probed no okay no uh alien life extraterrestrial life uh great question i really like this question um this 
this is a huge uh there's a huge addendum to this. I don't know if addendum's the right word. I'm just gonna say it though. What do you constitute as life? Right? Now there's there's a life in the sense that microbes that are organic, that's life. And then there's life, as we describe it, that you and I have that's of a totally different sort. Um, so life out there in the universe on a microbe to animal level, I haven't seen any evidence apart from microbe type stuff. I um, mean, like people saying that this could have been or this is a possibility. Um, nothing beyond that. But as for life as we know it, um, a life that is sentient, that is self-conscious, that is totally set apart from the rest of life that we see on earth, I don't believe that's out there. Uh, for me, that personally comes from a belief in the Bible. It says that Jesus died once for sin, only once. He, he didn't die again and again and again. And, and there's overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus was a real person, that he died, the, the the problem comes with whether you believe he was raised again, but there's overwhelming evidence that a man named Jesus came and died, and it is my belief that that, that same Jesus in history is the same Jesus of the Bible, and if the Bible says he died once for sin for humankind, and he did it on this earth, and I, I don't see there being any other life like our life, self-conscious, sentient, morals, the capability for morals and language, I don't see that being anywhere else in the universe. Again, that comes down to evidence and also faith, um, an underlying faith with evidence that, lack of evidence that I see for that apart from microbial forms of, of life that may be or may not be on Mars. And that's the closest we can get to right now. Um, so I hope that's helpful. I don't personally believe in aliens. Yeah, I don't, so... Yeah, so Revelation, if you guys don't know, the book of Revelation was a revelation, um, right? It, w it was uh, John was one of the apostles, and he had this revelation. And there are a lot of crazy things, um, like a seven-headed dragon. I personally, I you know, there's some things that are symbolic. But he talks about a lot of things like, um, like what's going to happen to the stars and the sun and the moon. Um, he talks about, I mean, there's stuff that Jesus talks about all these different signs, earthquakes and famines, and even then the end won't be coming. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, try I'm trying to make sense of your question because you also mentioned some stuff about hurricanes, and I want I'm not entirely sure how that connects. But, yeah, um, yeah, Jesus said that, that all these crazy things are going to start happening. And even then, he said, but the end hasn't come. The end won't be coming yet. Um, now, I'm, I don't know if this entirely answers your question, because part of your question is theological more than, like, science. But I am going to, I want to address the hurricane thing. First of all, uh, is anyone in this room, do you have family or anyone that was affected by that? I know. 
from Texas, anyone who's who's got family there, I want you to know that, uh, yeah, hurricanes and, and natural disasters and things like this, they're really tough questions. Uh, they kind of get into some more questions of why. Why would God allow this or why would God do this, right? Um, but it's it's interesting. I'll, I'll make a comment. There's a friend of mine on Facebook. He posted a very snarky... Um, satirical post saying essentially isn't it ironic that all the Bible believing Christians in Texas are currently flooded and they believe a God flooded the earth to kill everyone all the bad people and now they're the ones flooded and I was like well that's kind of harsh man that's it's a little early for that right um, but it was interesting and, and then he, he tagged on a little bit he said this is just proof of global warming now I'm not I'm not against global warming or any of that. I'm not saying that at all. But what was interesting about his comment is that he was picking two different arguments. One, he he couldn't he he was saying that global warming is causing this, or he was saying that God was causing this. But you can't say it's both. And what's interesting is that actually, as much as everyone is on this global warming craze, I don't think they're necessarily wrong that that has a has a tremendous effect on the nature as a whole. And then you look at global warming and the argument continually is, ah, oh, well, it's our fault. It's man's fault. We're polluting the air. We're destroying the ozone. But then turn around and say, oh, it was God's fault. Well, wait a second. We're the ones destroying the earth. The Bible says the earth groans and labor pains because of what we have done to it. And so I'm not saying entirely that Hurricane Harvey was man's fault, but I don't think that we're innocent on this. Same with sicknesses and all these other things, man. Like, man is responsible, and, and, and the earth groans because of our wickedness and our selfishness. And then there's repercussions of massive scale. There's there's two more hurricanes currently. Irma and there's another one behind it, Jose, that are just keep on coming. And people say, oh, well, God did this, didn't he? It's like, well, well, man is responsible because we're destroying the very earth that he gave for us. And so um, if you have family there and they've been affected, uh, everyone on staff also is from Texas and has family. And so we just want you to know that we care about you and we're praying for your family and praying for those people. So uh, that's just a side note. So I hope that's helpful. I don't know if I fully answered your other question. <laughs> we have time for one more question if someone wants to ask. If not, then I can make a closing remark. Anyone want to venture to make the last question? All right, Alec. The, uh, the question is, um, so evolution and evolution, um, how would you explain, like, from the scientific way that they think that they prove that we come from the apes, mm-hmm. like, evolution that way, uh, what would be, like, a your take on the whole? What do we do with the evolution of primates? Earth ape forms to to man. Um, I was really 
encouraged. I listened to a guy. You guys may have heard of him. His name is Richard Dawkins. He's like one of the leading evolutionary atheists of the day. He just hates people who believe in God. Um, but he said something so crazy. It was so good. And he said, we have to, first of all, understand that that we, fr- from their belief, from the belief of evolution, right, that man is not descended from chimpanzees that we see today, but from a distant relative of both, right? So when people say, ah, oh, well, look at this monkey. Can you seriously say that, that you, that me and them, right, we're, we're the same thing? I came from him? Well, it's a wrong conclusion based on evolution that they're saying that there was a common ancestor. Um, and so what I want to, I, I think uh, your question is great. It, it broaches this topic of homology, if you guys don't know what homology is, it's just the state of being the same or similar in relation relative to position or of structure. Um, homology is just about something looks similar, therefore it necessitates that it must be of the same. Um, and what I want to say, um, and, and Richard Dawkins, in that same comment that I just mentioned, he also said when when you look at the evidence of you know these skeletons of uh you know these these um, neanderthals and even before that um these hominoid uh skeletons that we have that surely because of how similar they are that must mean they have a common ancestor and, he's, and then he says what else could it be but it's funny cuz he's not willing to actually go down the other avenue to say that rather than a common ancestor there was a common designer um, and so you think about any of you engineers, if you ever build a building one day, you're going to use the same materials throughout different buildings, right? If you go to a Mitsubishi car factory, whether they're building a 2011 model or 2017, they use similar parts, similar aspects. And the Bible even talks about this in Genesis 2-7. Um, it says that God created the animals Right with and, and the word he used created is the same word that he uses when he said he created man. And it talks about how he used the earth itself to create. The distinction between animals and man is that God breathes spirit into man. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's some like historical breakdown of some of the, uh, the anatomically human. And then there's, um, you know, there's m- methodological, like how they act. Um, yeah, behavioral modernity, and then the rise of civilization. Anatomically modern humans, 130,000 to 200,000 years ago, these are our, like, uh, hominoid creatures that seem to look in appearance, and then you've got the rise of uh, behavioral modernity, where they say there's signs of abstract thought and art and tool use, and then the rise of civilization um, close to eight to 20,000 years ago. Um, where we see agriculture and all these things start coming in. Um, and, and just what I would say to that is that, one, I don't, this is a personal conviction, I don't, I don't think bones are a strong enough evidence for language, for the capacity for language and morality and thought and c- consciousness. I don't, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how a bone can communicate that. I can understand that it can communicate similarity in appearance, but in the same way a pen and a pencil look similar, it doesn't mean that they came from the same thing. A monkey and a man may look similar, may have similar features, 
may have 98% compatibility, but do you know that we have 50% of the similar makeup as a banana? And <laughs> I've never been compared to a banana. I don't, I've never been told I'm 50% banana. But the, the physical makeup of a banana, we have 50% of the same material. Just because God used a similar design, similar pieces, similar products, doesn't mean that there has to be, it doesn't necessitate that there has to be a common ancestor. It could simply mean there's a common designer. And so that's what, what I would say. Um, and so I just want to make some, just a short closing thought. Um, I just want to say that, first of all, thank you guys. I know this was our first one, so I apologize for any blunders I made or anything of that sort. I'm glad you guys stuck with me. Thank you guys. I really enjoyed um, being up here and, and sharing with you guys. Um, but I just want to say this. According to the Bible, God God says he made everything. And he doesn't shrink whenever we discover something new. He doesn't lose value when science makes progress. When more of the universe is understood, he doesn't become more distant. He, he's the one who created all. He knows all the equations. He knows all of the laws. He knows all of the methods. And in spite of all that God knows... He says that you and I are his crowning jewel and that he knows us. He knows you. In spite of everything that he knows, in spite of everything that he could reveal, he could, he could, un- he could download in your head every scientific equation. He could explain a tesseract. I was just watching videos on tesseracts yesterday. They're crazy. He could do that. He could explain it. He could, he could download a fifth dimension into your brain. But do you know what he reveals instead? He reveals himself to you because he wants to know you. And along the way, he reveals these things. And so, I hope you guys enjoyed. If you have any questions, please feel free to come talk to me. Um, But for that, uh, we're done tonight. And so, thank you guys for coming out.